Our first reading in the Old Testament is, is, a, is, a very, is a war reading, and it's about battle, it's about bloodshed, and it is not figurative. And very often whenever, at least whenever I was reading the Old Testament back whenever I was, before I went to seminary, these, these passages would often perplex me in light of the New Testament. The New Testament is love thy enemies, be merciful, be, be caring, be generous, be giving. And then here you have in the Old Testament, Joshua waging war with Amalek about to lop off his head. Like, what's the, what gives? What's the, what's the parallel here? It wasn't until I, I did a little bit of research in, in, in seminary that I learned that the war that we're looking at, this holy war between Joshua and the Amalekites, was actually sanctioned by God. It's one of the few wars... Actually, arguably the only war ever really sanctioned by God. Only, only offensive war sanctioned by God. If we read why it was sanctioned by God, it wasn't because the Israelites were more righteous than the Amalekites. No, the reason why this was sanctioned by God was because the Amalekites were part of a larger group of people generally called the Canaanites. And the Canaanites were guilty of offending the Lord by sacrificing their children. They were guilty of child sacrifice. And so because of that, the Lord gave, his, gave the Israelites permission to take them out and to take their land. Because they committed the gravest and darkest of crimes. But what's interesting about this passage is I think while it is certainly a symbol of the, the hatred that the Lord has for sin, it's also, I would argue, a symbol of the church and how you and I interact as clergy and as laity. You see, there's three different distinctions in the church. There's the church triumphant. These are the, those of us who have gone before us who are in heaven, who have triumphed and, and, and are, are now saints. There's the church suffering, which are those who are in purgatory, kind of being purged of the darkness of their sin to get and become church triumphant. And there's us, church militant. Church militant. It's something we don't often talk about because, you know, we're trying to be more pacifistic and nice and sweet and kind these days. But the fact of the matter is we have a long tradition of being a militaristic people, of being a warlike people. And that's a good thing. Whenever I was a kid, I loved the idea of war. Now I'm a priest and I won't be going to war, at least not with a weapon in my hands. I'll be going, I'll, I might go to war, but I'll just be, you know, anointing people. It won't be, it won't be like I, I wanted to as a little kid. But the point being is that these desires for war can be good if they're placed in the proper area. And this reading, I would argue, shows us how to do that. So let's break this down. We have Joshua and the warriors of Israel. I would argue, and many of the church fathers argue, that those, that, that group of people is symbolic of the laity. You guys. Waging war in the world, fighting against the evil one, fighting against his lies, fighting against all that he has to offer, and putting him down. Not letting him triumph, not letting him win, and instead pursuing on to overcome his lies, especially the lies that he, that he, he tends to, to, to feed 
us, especially in regards to child sacrifice and things of the sort. You guys are the ones fighting. You guys are the ones waging the, the war, and you guys are the ones meant to win. You guys are church militants. But what's interesting here is not everybody is in the war. There are three people who don't actually go to the war. They go, go to the battle, excuse me, they go up a mountain. That's Moses, Aaron, and Hur. And the church fathers see these guys as the clergy. The difference between the laity and the clergy. While the laity, you guys, are in the world consecrating the world to God... That's what the Second Vatican Council said the laity is here meant to do, to consecrate the world to God, a beautiful vocation. It's our job to pray for you, to pray that you can succeed in this mission, to pray that the devil does not come and overcome you, but to pray that you can triumph and win, which is exactly what Moses did. Whenever we hear in the gospel passage, Moses raising his hands to heaven, he's taking on the symbol of the priest who raises his hand whenever he prays. Whenever he says, let us pray, and he offers his prayers to heaven with with hands extended, he's raising his hands for hours on end. These are a symbol of prayer. The church fathers see Moses as the priest. But notice that that Moses gets weary of holding his hands up. Even though while, his, while you guys and the laity are winning while his hands are, are held up, he gets weary, his, he lets his hands fall, and what happens? The devil starts winning again. The Amalekites start winning. And who's there to, to pick his hands up? The deacons. Surrounding him, helping him, giving him, giving him strength. Unfortunately, right now I have no deacons, so I mean, you just y'all are in trouble. So I'm just going to, I guess I'll get weak or something. But the point being is that that's, the, that's how, if you want to look at a basic, a basic division of the church between clergy and laity and our roles, just look at this passage. You have the priest, you have the deacon, you have the laity, each with, the, which is with your own distinctive roles. The question then becomes, I suppose, is how does that relate? How can you take that knowledge and act on it? And here's what I propose. Two things. Number one, fight your heart out. Do everything you can to win this battle. Do everything you can to win this this war. Don't give in. Don't give an inch to sin. Be like St. Dominic Savio. And he used to say, death over sin. Death over sin. No, I would rather die than sin. That is the attitude of a warrior. And that's the attitude that the Lord is calling every single one of us to, to do. But the other thing I would argue is to pray for your priests. Look at, what, look at what happens. We have Moses here, and whenever he becomes weak, you all suffer. Whenever priests become weak, you all have to take the brunt of that hit. You all are, being, are dragged down by that. Well, they used to say in seminary that if you're, a, if you're a lazy priest, your people will be vicious. If you're an active priest, your people will be lazy. If you're a fervent priest, your people will be active. And if you're a saintly priest, your people will be fervent. Your people always follow you, which means you need to be on your game as a priest. But the fact of the matter is, well, why? Because according to St. Innocent III, we are a bridge to God. We are a bridge between God and you guys. What Moses says, between God and Joshua. But 
And this is why you need to pray for us. A bridge, like Moses in this, in this chapter, is nothing without support. In fact, a bridge can be dangerous if it doesn't have any support. That's why you need to pray for your priests. I can tell you, I, honestly, I'm not, tell, I'm not preaching this homily because I feel unsupported here. I've got to be honest, that's not why I'm saying that. But I'm only saying, in a sense, thank you for the support that you've given me as a priest here in this parish. I can't imagine being anywhere else. It's been wonderful. It's been a blast. It's been very, very helpful to me as a priest. But I want to encourage you guys to continue this path, to continue to pour support upon your priests, and to continue to fight the good fight, knowing that you're at war. And if you lose, there are going to be some deadly consequences. But if you win by praying for your priests, you, like Joshua, will succeed. And we all will join our friends as church triumphant. Amen.